All right, so we've covered a number of things uh, last week. We talked about uh, the influence uh, over our lives, and particularly under the doctrine of sin, is uh, the Bible identifies three types of enemies, and we cover those. What are those three enemies we talked about last week, John? All right, the world, what's the next one? The flesh, and the third one? The devil, okay? So the world, the flesh, and the devil. When we talked about... um, the world, there are, um, I guess, there's a summary of all that is in the world. What is all that is in the world? What is contained in that? Well, there's three things. John? What was that the first one? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So First John says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And when we're talking about the world, what are we talking about? The influence of the world. What is the world? What is that? Yeah, was that? Yeah, it's, it's the world system, right? And so within the world system, what does the world system promote? It promotes the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So that's enemy number one, and we identified that. Then we talked about uh, the flesh. What is the flesh? What is that? Yeah, that's the sinful nature. Now, there are various words that are used in the New Testament to talk about the flesh. Uh, We can talk about the carnal man. We can talk about the old man, right? He says uh, in the book of Ephesians, uh, put off the old man, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And uh, so we talked about the flesh, and the flesh is that which is the sinful nature that is within us. It is at salvation, it is not eradicated, right? Now, one day it will be, but it is not right now. Uh, Now we can still have the victory over the the flesh, but the point is the flesh is present there. It's just like the law of gravity, it's always there. And there has to be a counter counter force, and that is uh, the the power of the Holy Spirit of God that helps us. Uh, He says... uh, if you walk after the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right, because the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. And so we, we understand that. Yes, Darzell. Yeah, um, in Isaiah, he said that uh, um, our flesh is grass, right? But uh, is, that, is that the same flesh that we're talking about here? Uh, well, not in that sense. So the flesh, for example, in that would be talking about the, the, the body of man. And so when he says here that all flesh is as grass, he says the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God abideth forever. But in that sense, he's referring directly to man's flesh and bones. So when he dies, right, he goes back to the ground and he withers. But there is the spiritual sense of the word. And so that's the sinful nature that is within all of us. And so, uh, yeah, that's a good question. So there are, um, when we think about the flesh, there are, uh, for example, the Bible refers to the flesh of the beast, for example, but it's talking about not their sinful nature, but just their physical, um, the physical bodies in that sense. And so, yeah, so when we're talking about the flesh, we make a distinction between uh, flesh and bones. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and bones, but against powers and principalities and, and all those things. So it's important to make uh, that uh, distinction. And uh, then we, what was the third enemy? The third enemy was the devil. Now, 
What is uh, what is he, he called? What is he called the devil that can kind of indicate to us that there's an influence there against us? Yes, John. He is the accuser of the brethren. What else is he called? The tempter. He is called Satan. The adversary. All right. So if we have that, by the way, I'm not sure which New Testament epistle, but it mentions is uh, the wiles of the devil, right? The, his trickery, his deception. And, uh, and so he seeks to what? Now, he can't make us sin, but he can tempt us, draw us away, accuse us, and do those things. Now, what I want to focus on in this morning's lesson is we identified, really, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the influences that draw us to sin. Uh, one is in the world, uh, one is inwardly, and the other one is supernatural, which is the devil, the tempter, the adversary. I want to talk now about how we can have the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And by the way, as believers, um, we can have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Isn't that wonderful? We can. Now, is it, um, is it difficult at times? Yes, it is. Uh, and the right thing to do is not to ignore the enemy. If we ignore the enemy, we will be defeated. One of the things when it comes to battles, and I know we're not talking about here a physical battle, uh, but if you think about battles, any type of war, uh, one of the goals in studying is studying the enemy. How does the enemy do battle? And you will not win the battle or the war if you don't know the enemy and how the enemy works, and what he does. And so, it's the same in the spiritual sense. We are in a spiritual warfare. And we have to, we identify those enemies that uh, draw us to to sin. Uh, And now I want to talk about how we get the victory over uh, those, uh, the world of flesh and the devil. And by the way, if we fail to identify them and to know that they're there, if we just ignore them, I think we've already been defeated. And so we have to identify them and then move to have the victory over them. Now, Uh, Turn with me to John chapter 16, in John chapter 16. Now, if you uh, think about the timeline in the gospel according to John, there are a series of of chapters here from basically John 13 through John 17. Uh, Jesus Christ is spending his last moments with his disciple before he's about to go to the garden and to be betrayed. And so, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 is that special time between Christ and His disciples. And He's teaching them about right the Comforter, the fact that He's leaving, but He's going to send the Comforter. It is expedient for you that I go away. Uh, he's preparing them, really, for His departure. Uh, now, in John 16 and verse 33, notice what He says in, um, well, verse... 32 of John 16. The Bible says, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Now, if you notice the ministry of Christ and the disciples repeatedly, they said they were shocked when he would announce those things. Even Peter said, no, that's not going to be so. One particular instance, Jesus said to Peter, Get, behind, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of, uh, of God, but the things that be of men. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he's announcing again that they're going to be scattered. Now, th- again, they've been following him for at least three years, many of those who are with him. And now he says, I'm leaving, 
and he's been teaching about the Comforter, and no doubt that that would be words of um, discomfort for them. They had, remember, they had forsaken all to follow Christ. At one point, they even asked, what is in it for us? And uh, so, no doubt this would be distressing for them, and this is what he says in verse 33. He announced to them, by the way, that the world's going to hate them because they hated him. Notice verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you. What? Chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. That in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, I want to think here about the world in the sense of 1 John, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so according to John here, 1633, Jesus Christ has already overcome the world. Uh, in, um, if you go uh, uh, previously in John chapter 5, the same gospel of John, John chapter 5, uh, notice with me, um, oh wait, excuse me, I think it's 1 John, yeah, 1 John 5, 5. First John 5, 5, Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Who is he that has overcome the world. So we've already read that Jesus himself has overcome the world. He declared that to his disciples even before his crucifixion. And here he says that those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God also have overcome the world. And so uh, there, it is incumbent upon us not to be defeated and to be robbed of joy and peace in Christian life because we've been drawn away from the world. What the world has to offer, we've taken. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, let's talk about how we can have victory over the world. Now, if you're there still in 1 John chapter 5, uh, somebody read verse 4. 1 John 5, 4, if you're there. Who's there there? All right, John, go ahead. Okay, so here, now he, he says, so first of all, he says, whatsoever is born of God has overcome the world. Well, what does that mean? Well, those who have experienced the new birth. Uh, and so in that sense, we're going, we, we have overcome the world by the new birth, but then he mentions our faith. And so what is it that gives us the victory over the world? Well, victory over the world will be uh, accomplished by an unwavering faith. By an unwavering faith. Uh, he says here, uh, again, even our faith has overcome the world. You see, faith is a powerful weapon in the Christian's uh, life's arsenal. The Bible declares that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so the believer is to live by faith in his daily walk uh, with the Word of God. We live by faith, not by sight. Now remember, all that is in the world, the Bible says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so the world offers us those things. What is that? Well, let's put it this way. It is a 
desire to have something that is outside of God's will. It's a desire to do something outside of God's will. And it's a desire to be someone outside of God's will. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is what the world offers. And so what do we have to do? We cannot live by sight. If we live by sight, we're thinking about how can we have gratification here in this world? How can I satisfy the longing of my flesh, uh, my fleshly wants and desires? Well, it's living by faith. And how can our faith increase? Well, our faith increases by hearing the Word of God. And so the believer is to live by faith in his daily walk with the Lord. Um, if we think, somebody read uh, 1 John 2, if you're there in the book of 1 John, 1 John 2 and verse 17. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. Matthew, go ahead. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Okay, so here in the, the context, he, he had just said, right, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. And then he tells us, you know, the world passes away, and the lusts thereof. So the world, what the world offers, and what we uh, take from the world in an attempt to gratify our fleshly desires, that passes away. It is temporal. It is temporal. Uh, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Um, in Hebrews, we're talking about faith. And so, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we have a description of, it's called the, the, the Hall of Faith. Um, but when it talks about Moses, I think it's interesting because what he did, he did by faith. Notice what the Bible says um, in Hebrews 11 verse 23. In other words, how, if the world is there to draw us away to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, how can we have victory to, over that? Well, notice Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hit three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. That's really the faith of uh, Moses' father and, and, and mother. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He made a choice. That choice was what? I will rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Egypt provided him the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Egypt was the... The, the, the entity that, allow, that would allow him to satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But he didn't choose that. Why did he not choose that? By faith. That's what the Bible says. Notice we keep uh, verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Uh, and so it goes on. But the point is here that Moses made a choice. But notice, what's the whole chapter about? It's about by faith. You see, it is a, an act of faith. And so how do we overcome the world? We overcome the world by an unwavering faith. 
What is, what is that? Well, according to God's Word, it is making a choice. Here, it's a hard choice. The choice was between suffering affliction or enjoying the pleasures of sin. How can, we, how can somebody make that choice? By faith. Uh, how can someone esteem the riches of, of Christ to be greater riches than earthly treasures? That's only by faith. Why? Because it's not temporal and it's not visible. You know, it's always easy, uh, uh, easy for us to, to give ourselves over to something that is visible than to something that is invisible. But that's by faith. You see, when we make choices in our lives and we say, I'm going to live by faith, sometimes it will, be, it, it will not make sense in the sense here, it applied, what, what would Moses go through by making that choice suffering in this world instead of ease in the world? Now, let's not think that that was an easy choice. If you, if you were Moses and you had at your disposal the fame, the glory, the wealth, the, uh, all of the things that you could wish for were at your disposal. And you made a choice to forsake that. Why? Because you'd rather suffer with Christ and with the people of God. That's uh, only a choice that comes by faith. So victory over the world comes by an unwavering faith. We also see, according to God's Word, that victory over the world comes by an undivided affection. Uh, turn with me to the book of Colossians, in the book of Colossians and chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Who'd like to read there verse 1 and 2? Colossians 3. James, go ahead. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above when Christ, or where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Okay, so... Now notice he says, set your affection on things above. What, what is he talking about? Why is he saying above? Why above? Well, he says because it's in contrast to what is here beneath, earthly, temporal. So he says, seek the things that are above, things that are unseen. Uh, so, um, and so then in verse 2, go ahead, verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay, so victory over the world here comes by an undivided affection. You remember what Jesus taught when He was in His earthly ministry? He says, uh, you, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot have two masters. For either you will love the one and hate the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot, it's impossible for you to serve God and mammon. You can't have two masters. And so here, I think this is in line with what Christ said when He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Here Paul puts it this way, Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. And so we have to examine, so if you would, uh, the first one is we, we have victory over the world by an unwavering faith, by placing our trust in things uh, that are heavenly, eternal, and spiritual, not earthly. But there's an aspect of, here I believe we're talking about our affection, our love. You remember where, what Jesus said? He says, um, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So now we're dealing with the heart. 
Uh, you remember Paul, when he talked about his ministry with Demas, he says, Demas hath forsaken me, having what? Loved this present world. The temporary world. The, the world that, according to verse John, passes away, and the lust that passes away. Uh, he forsook Paul in the ministry of God. Why? Because he had a divided affection. I, I believe Demas was saved. I believe he was a believer. He worked with Paul. Uh, based on Paul's ministry, it seems like he did a pretty thorough job to identify those he wanted to work with. That's clear. So I think Demas was a, good, a, a, a faithful believer at some point, but apparently along the line, somewhere along the line, he had a divided affection. He was serving God, but then he was, had an affection for the world. Well, eventually, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. Eventually, you will get to the point where you will love the one, hate the other, hold to the one, despise the other. And that's what happened. And so, um, uh, we, we, we see that. You can't serve two masters. And so, um, victory over the world is going to come by an undivided affection. And um, we think about um, what Paul wrote. He says that the love of Christ constrains us. Now, we're not talking about our love here. We're talking about God's love for us. That constrains us. Um, we should love the Lord more when we become more aware of His love for us. Affection is a great motivator. And uh, we had a good time yesterday. Went to went to go see uh, Darcel. I hope you don't mind me sharing. But we talked about the Lord for a while. And uh, he asked the question, he says, uh, I said, do you have any questions for me? He said, well, why did Jesus die for me? I just don't understand why he would die for such a sinner, such a sinner. And that's how I feel. I hope that's the way you feel. We are completely undeserving of God's grace towards us, but yet he loves us. That should provoke affection for him. And uh, so what we have to do is set our affection on things above, not on things of the earth. It's easy for us to love the things that are in the world. Or to get to the point, as, even as believers, where we have a sense that if we can just get this in our lives, then we will be happy and be content and have what we have that can give us what we want. And we know that we cannot find joy in those things, earthly things. Only in the Lord. So, uh, victory over an unwavering faith. So a uh, victory over the world by an unwavering faith, by an undivided affection. But there's a third area in which we can have the victory over the world, and that is we can have victory over the world by an uncorrupted mind. Now turn with me to the book of Philippians and chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> in Philippians chapter 4, Now, I, I want to put forth to you what Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, and in the context of what he is saying in, in chapter 4 and verse 8 is, you know, when we're in the world, we can have things that we become anxious about, troubled because of all that is going on in the world. Notice what he writes to them. Now, remember, Philippi was the place he had been imprisoned. Um... 
the church at Philippi was evidently a, a strong church. Um, this is one of the epistles when there's not a great doctrinal controversy that Paul has to write to them because in doctrine they're failing. Um, I think he just mentions a couple ladies in the church having trouble, and he, he says you need to get that resolved. But there's no doctrinal issues in Philippi. But he does talk about, look, you can become anxious in the world. Notice what he says in verse 4 of Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. That means don't be full of care. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now notice here, uh, in the world we can become anxious. Why? Because we look at the world around us. And we can, can become troubled. And the world can take a toll on us. And so, now, by the way, he, he's writing them uh, this letter, being imprisoned. Remember in chapter 1 and 2, he expressed how, uh, he says, uh, the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And so I want you to rejoice with me. Even though I'm in jail, uh, the gospel has been moving forward, even though I've been physically uh, stopped. And, uh, and so look, they're dealing with the things of the world. And so then he says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Believer, you can become full of care because of what's going on in the world. But I want you to think rightly. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, this is important here because we might get the idea that, well, you know, we can't really control what we think. We just think those things. No, that's not true. Now, I know sometimes there are thoughts that come into our mind. We, sometimes we think, oh, where do those things originate? Remember, we are flesh. There's an old nature in us. And so all of our thoughts are not necessarily pure thoughts. And he says here that you need to purposely think on things. Why? Because here the context is, look, you can become full of care because of what's going on in the world. And the, the world can take a toll on you and you can become defeated. Uh, he's talking about, I want you to know the, the peace of God that passes all understanding, that's able to keep your heart and mind in Christ. And then he gives them a practical way in which they can do that. And that is to think rightly. So how can we have victory over the world? By an uncorrupted mind. And by the way, the mind left to itself corrupts itself. That's why we have to train ourselves to think rightly. That's what he's telling him here. Think on these things purposefully. Why? Because the, the, the human nature is not to think on things that are true. Isn't it? It tends to wander into things that are untrue. Let me give you just an illustration. Somebody, you come to church and somebody doesn't shake your hand. And you might think, they probably have something against me. That's a thought that is untrue. There is no basis for it. There's no basis. But sometimes that's how the mind wonders. Right? Somebody says something, somebody does something, and automatically your mind begins to wonder. You begin to think about things that are unreasonable, irrational. They're not true. Not true. 
and you become troubled. And he says, don't think on that. Think on what is true. Notice, think on, on what is honest along the same line. Things, think on what is just, what is pure, having pure thoughts. Not ascribing evil motives towards people when you do not know their motive. You know, it's impressive how we can come to the conclusion sometimes when somebody does something and say, well, that's because their heart is, or that's because they're thinking. That's impressive that your mind can think about what the other person's thinking. That's, that's, that's not the right thing. What sort of things are lovely, of good report? And he says, look, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Train your mind to think rightly. You know, the, the world has, uh, there's enough attacks in the world. Don't, don't allow the world to cripple you. Don't allow the world to cripple you. So we can have victory over the world by an unwavering faith, by an undivided affection, and by an uncorrupted mind. Uh, and so that's in ways. Now, are there other things in Scripture? I'm sure there are. Um, again, I'm limited because I'm, I'm, I don't know everything in the Bible. But those are some things that we can identify in the Scriptures. Let me give you now how we can have the victory over the flesh. Now, we know that the position of the believer in Christ is very clear in the Scriptures. Um, we have been crucified with Christ. Uh, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth, we should not serve sin. Now notice, he doesn't say that we will not serve sin. He said we should not. We shouldn't do it. Uh, is it possible that we might serve sin again in our lives? Yeah. Now we, we're not slaves. The point is we're not slaves. We're free from that. But we should not serve sin. Um, in Galatians 2.20, he says, I'm crucified with Christ... Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, according to, uh, somebody read Galatians chapter 5. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. And somebody read Galatians 5 and verse uh, 24. Galatians 5 and uh, verse 24. Greg, go ahead. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Okay. So here, the believer in Christ has crucified the flesh with, with its what? Affection and lust. So... When you think about the flesh, how do we identify the flesh? We identify the flesh by its affection, and its lust. Uh, the word lust, you could say desire, a strong urge and desire. Uh, the affection is, right, what, what draws us, our, our love uh, for certain things. And so those who are in Christ, who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with the, the affection and lust. And so how can we uh, have victory over the flesh? Again, we've memorized, so Romans 6, verse 6, it teaches us that Christ uh, that, uh, that Christ crucified the old man, that the believer should no longer serve sin. Right? So Romans 6, 6, uh, that we are crucified with Christ, 
buried with him by baptism and death, raised to walk in newness of life. All right. So how do we have victory over the flesh? Well, victory over the flesh comes by a spirit-filled life. Spirit-filled life. Yes, Darzell. Yeah, uh, a cru- crucifixion, you know, is the idea of putting to death. Mortify, the word mortify means to put to death as well. Um, Paul uses another expression, uh, I believe it's in Corinthians, where he says, um, I bring my body under subje- uh, subjection. And so, bring it under submission. And so, there's different words, but yeah, mortify, uh, put to death, crucify would be along the same line. Yes, sir. Uh, somebody read Galatians 5, verse 16. Galatians 5 and verse 16. Go ahead. What? Nurse. When he bites and devour one another, take heed that he be not consumed one of another. All right, and then verse 16 as well. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and he shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. Okay, so there it is. Thank you. So, Walk, if we walk in the Spirit, he says, ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So look at all that is in the world, the, 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 the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, so we, we're dealing here with the flesh, and we are no longer uh, in bondage to the law of sin and death. We are now in Christ, and now that we are in Christ, the believer... Uh, does not have to fulfill the lust of the flesh, and the way he does not fulfill the lust of the flesh is by walking in the Spirit. That's the remedy he gives us here. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, let's look at another verse. Who'd like to read Romans thirteen fourteen? Romans thirteen fourteen. All right, James, go ahead. Okay, so there it is. So what do we have to do not to fulfill the lust of the flesh, James? We have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we've been reading in Roman or memorizing in Romans six. We have to yield ourselves as servants of righteousness unto God, yielding ourselves unto God. And so, how do we have victory over the flesh? We have victory over the flesh by a Spirit-filled life, by walking in the Spirit, by putting on the new man. Uh, and, uh, and so, again, when we think about the Christian conduct, it's important for us to remember that we do not get the victory by resisting. Uh, help me not to do this. I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. That, that's not how we have the victory over the flesh. We have the victory over the flesh not by doing something negative. We have victory over the flesh by doing something positive. What's that? Walking in the Spirit. That's a positive. Now, when we do that, then we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so, um, we, we can't live with both and be content with both. And to have a little bit of a spiritual life and a little bit of the fleshly life over here to uh, uh, succumb to the wants and the uh, immediacy of the fleshly desires. And so we, we have victory over the flesh by a spirit-filled life.
There's also a second aspect to that. There is also victory over the flesh by a refusal to indulge in lust. Who'd like to read 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11? 1 Peter 2 verse 11 will end right here. 1 Peter 2 11. Who'd like to read that verse? All right, John, go ahead. So 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11. All right. What is it that wars against the soul? Fleshly lusts. So, he says, I beseech you, I I beg of you, I implore you as strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So we talked about the first one is really the positive aspect. Walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But here he says, abstain from fleshly lusts. And so we have victory over the flesh by a refusal to indulge in our lusts. Let me go back to, to lust. So the Bible says, First uh, John chapter 2, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. So, the lust of the the flesh is a desire to, to have something outside of God's will. The lust of the eyes is a desire to... To do something outside of God's will. The, lust, the pride of life is a desire to be someone that is outside of God's will. And so when we consider that, the Bible says here that there has to be a refusal to indulge in lust. There is a sense in God's word that when, and by the way, this could be, you know, across the board. Let me, let me give you one illustration in, in the Bible. When um, David committed his sin with Bathsheba, committed adultery. The beginning of the chapter, Second Samuel chapter, if you read chapter 11, chapter 12 there. Um, the Bible says in the first verse, it says that when it was time for kings to go to war. What was uh, David doing? He was hanging out in the palace. Well, where was he supposed to be? Well, the Bible tells us he was supposed to be at war. It was a time for the kings to go to war. He didn't do that. So, now, now, I want us to think here. Is that this big evil deed to not go to war? Well, you could say it's a deliration of responsibility as the king. But I would call this, is what I would call it, I would call it laziness. Laziness. He was lazy. What is that? The lust of the flesh. David got to the place where he said, I don't want to go to war. I just want to stay where I'm comfortable. I don't want to sleep out there in the tent. I want to sleep in my palace. And he got complacent and comfortable and lazy. And do you see what that did in his life? He was just strolling on the roof one day and he saw a woman. 
What I'm saying to us is that when we give ourselves over to the lust of the flesh, and it could not necessarily at the onset be something that is really bad. Sometimes we think, oh, I, I give myself over to the flesh. I mean, I do all kinds of... No, just laziness is enough. If we entertain laziness and give ourselves over to laziness, then we invite more things in our lives. So we want victory over the flesh, walk in a spirit-filled life, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But also you have to, there has to be a refusal to indulge in lusts. And initially for us, they may not be the, the vilest of things. They may be some of the most innocent things that we might think of in the world. And so uh, may the Lord help us. I don't have time to finish the one on the victory over the devil, but uh, perhaps I'll just give you the, the outline to that next week or we'll finish that.